I got to tell you, this teaching, so we're, we're still in 1 John. It feels like we've been teaching on 1 John since before I was born. But um, we're still there. We're not even like, I think we're at the halfway point. So we're going to be doing this for a while. I'm going to try to cover most of chapter 3 tonight. And um, you probably can't even remember what we've talked about before, um, but that's all right. We're talking about walking in the light. And if you remember the beginning of the book was the kind of the general theme is uh, John saying, we saw Jesus, we experienced him, and now we're going to convey all that we got from him to you guys. And then we're going to give that away to the world. And that's like the overarching theme that we're hitting on. Um, so today we're going to talk about chapter 3. So if you like using your own Bible, open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 3 um, or your phone. The verses will be behind me. And I want to just tell you that I know sometimes Jonathan tells me not to say this kind of stuff, but I, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm still hovering around this teaching and don't know exactly what I'm going to say yet. And so when I feel like that, it's often best to just share from my heart. Um, so I, I may have some pauses where I have to figure out where I am in my notes, but I'm going to just try to tell you from my heart what I think God wants us to hear tonight, and hopefully it um, makes sense. That's my fear of sharing from my heart, is I tend from my heart to be a very tangential person and like... And so I need notes to keep me on track, um, but we'll see how it goes. So let's invite God's presence. Jesus, I pray you would put power on the words that I say tonight. God, I pray that you would um, fill our, our hearts with faith and that you would come and speak to us. In Jesus' name. I was listening to a teaching yesterday, and uh, the teacher quoted Jesus saying, The words that I speak to you are spirit. And that spirit gives you life. I've just been like, yeah. Like, that's one of those things you need to, like, chew on for a while. Like, write it on your forehead so you see it in the morning when you look in the mirror. You know, like, the words of God that we're going to talk about tonight. Because sometimes you just wonder, do you ever wonder, like, why am I reading and studying the same, same verses that I've been studying for 30, 40 years? Because the words of God are, li- are spirit. So, so they're... they're they're beyond all the physical stuff that we deal with every day. They're at a deeper, deeper level, and they give us life. And the life that you need right now, the life that I need, um, is not only coming through worship and prayer ministry, but it's going to come through the Word. And so I want you to just lift your expectation higher for what God's going to say to you tonight. All right? So I want to talk to you um, from 1 John 3. And let's just start with the very beginning. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. One of the hard parts of teaching through a book is that you realize how many verses could be whole teachings, but you can't stay there or else it would be even longer, right? So we could teach the whole teaching on that verse, couldn't we? See what great love the Father has lavished on us. This is how I read the Bible. I'm I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd, but I I get into every word. So like, this is, this is not just love. It's great love. And it wasn't just given to us with a measure, like carefully. It was lavished. It was extravagant. He was, he was sloppy. He was careless. He's like me putting creamer in my coffee, you know, and just like pour it on, you know, the more, the better. I like, I say I like coffee, but really I like creamer with coffee added to it. Flavor creamer. Um, so see what, side note, my favorite creamer has been discontinued. Creme brulee is my favorite creamer. And it's only, we can only ever find it at one Acme and it's gone. Seriously. Praise the Lord. All right. So this, he's lavished it so that we should be called, we could be called, that we are called children of God. And that's what we are. 
And that's the reason the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know him. So like the beginning of everything we're going to talk about is God loves us and that we're his children. And this is like the love that changed the world. This isn't just like, hey, I love you, you love me, that's fantastic. This is the love, think about this, the love that like just go back into all of history that allowed Abraham and Sarah to conceive when they were past age, that appointed a young shepherd named David to lead a faltering nation. This is the love that chose the weakness in Gideon to oppose the strength of the enemy. This is the love that sent his son Jesus, we celebrated the past few weeks, sent his son Jesus as the answer to our sins. It's the love that sent his Holy Spirit into us because he said that wasn't enough, but I need to spread this. I need this love to change the world. It's not a stagnant, powerless, ineffective love. It's love that changes us from the inside out and it's love that changes others through us. And this is the love that's been lavished upon us. And we've been called children of God. We've been adopted in. I love, I love in Romans, and, and I, don't, I, I purposely didn't put it up there, and I'm still going to talk about it. I like took it out of my notes last night. But I love in Romans where he talks about how we were slaves, but we've been bought from slavery. And it's this imagery from, um, from the ancient Near East where they would have slaves up on a block, and you would buy them. You would go inspect them, and you would buy them. And it's as if Jesus bought you off the slave block took you home and said, hey, you know what? You're actually not going to work for me, but I'm, let's, I got these papers. You're going to be my son. You're going to be my daughter. We're going to fill out these papers right now. I'm adopting you. So you went from for sale to slavery to sin to being adopted in as God's very own son. But then more than that, he's like, hey, here's my heir, Jesus, and I'm going to make you co-heirs with him. Go read it. It's in Romans. It's so powerful. Guess I should have put it up there. All right. It's so powerful that this concept of, of adoption, of, of identity, of who we are. And I texted or emailed Rob a couple nights ago because I can remember many, 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 many years ago sitting in Rob's class and learning about this thing called attachment. I went to college at University of Delaware and I studied in Rob's department. And, uh, and so attachment I'm going to be a novice here explaining it. And Rob said he could teach for a day on this at least. But attachment is basically the security that comes as you develop as a person. This starts at birth. This starts as an infant when you feel loved and and held and taken care of and secure that you form healthy attachment. And from that attachment, you're able to explore your surroundings. And they do these studies. I can remember watching the videos. They do these studies of kids with and without healthy attachment and how they interact with their environment. It's totally different because when you have a secure attachment, when you know who you are, when you know you're loved, when you know that you're safe, even at a distance, you explore, you take risks, You become who you're meant to be. And people who don't have a secure attachment as they become adults, they underdevelop and underperform. Did I do okay? All right, good. Did you even know he was going to be here? I was was not sure he would. I thought once I sent the email that he might come to make sure I didn't mess it up. So, (laughs) just kidding. Um, And it's all through the the scripture, this idea of, of attachment. This idea of God's love is a launching pad for our lives. But see, if we don't know that love, that's why it starts here. If we don't know who we are, because you're not just, like, what's your job? I'm not just a pastor. You're not just a teacher, or you're not just a whatever you are. That's not who you are. It's what you do. You're not 
Who you are isn't a mom or a dad. Who you are isn't a, a son or a daughter. Who you are isn't like even like a Christian. Like who you are is, I hang out with the teenagers, I got to speak their language, you know. Who you are is a child of God. And then everything else you do from that place, you are a son of God, which means you are loved, you are believed in, you are accepted, you are safe, you're protected, you're empowered. And so when you know who you are, that's why it's so powerful when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. If you go read that, he says, he knew who he was and he knew where he was going, where he, where he came from. He knew where he come, came from, he knew who he was. And so, that's how it goes. And so, he sat down and washed his disciples' feet. Because he knew who he was, he could enter this position of total humility that no king should ever do in that society. And so, when you know who you are, then you can fully be the teacher that your occupation is. You can fully be the son or the husband or the, or the parent. From that place of I am loved with this great love, he's lavished on me, he's called me out of slavery, he's called me into sonship and daughterhood. It's not daughtership, it can't be. Anybody know? Daughtering. Okay. So from this place, we're called to live a life where we're not hindered. Unhindered life for God. I live a hindered life. I, I'm a fearful person. I feel like the older I get, the more things I become afraid of. <laughs> it's true. All right? I'm terrified of heights. I am terrified of, um, what else? I'm terrified of not having enough money. Let's just get, get real really fast there. Okay. Um, I, I'm terrified of not fulfilling my calling. I'm terrified of something horrible happening to my children. You know, I, I do. I live with fears. I'm afraid sometimes to step out in God even because I'm afraid that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not meet your expectations. I'm afraid as I prepare teachings that it's not going to meet Bruce's expectations or Jonathan's expectations. And that's really it. Those are the two people I really worry about. But, um, or no, I'm kidding. Or, or, or that it's not going to be, you know, people are going to sit there and listen and walk out and be like, eh. You know, I mean, really, it's like a great fear of mine. I'm afraid that at the end of my life, I wouldn't, won't have done all the stuff that God you know, like thought I could do, but then like I just was too unhindered, like, or, or not too unhindered. I was too hindered. I'm anxious. <laughs> could tell some stories about that. But God wants us to be so convinced of our, our place and our identity in Jesus that, we're, that we can live unhindered lives. So here's a few ways. If we just keep reading. Dear friends, now... Now that we are children of God, okay? But what we will be has not yet been made known. See, there's this like, what's that energy that's not, it's like about to happen? Potential. Yeah, right. Okay. Potential energy. It's that, it's like that huge boulder at the top of a mountain that's about to roll has potential energy. A lot of it. And then once it's released, you, you experience the power of that. He's saying, guys, we're children of God. The most high. But what you're going to be, you don't even know yet. It's about to be released. And we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all of us who have that hope in us, we purify ourselves just to see his purity. It's like, listen, you know in the fullness of time, you'll see it clearly. And so we just go for it. We go for it. 
We're all in. We're holding nothing back. I think that was actually the official title, right? We're holding nothing back, pursuing God. God's love is the platform for us to be all that we're called to be. See, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that right now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we'll see him face to face. And this is what we're struggling with now. We're like, who am I? Who am I called to be in God? What exactly am I supposed to fulfill in the kingdom of God? It's like, I wish I could see it more clearly sometimes, don't you? But right now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully. But it's this sense of forward momentum. Until that day comes, we keep pressing in and pressing in to who God's called us to be. We are children of God and we don't yet know what we will be. It's coming to pass. But you know, part of that truth is that he is revealing himself now. You are seeing him now and now and now. And more. You are seeing more of him. And the more you see of him, the more you're going to see of yourself. Because he's that secure base. He's that place of attachment from which we can step out and take the risks that God's called us to take. We can step out and be the people that God's called us to be. It all starts with him. I think sometimes we feel like we'll never see his face. I think sometimes it feels like in life we're, we, we will never see his face. And I think he wants to say to us tonight that you will, that, that some of the things that you're going through right now are worth it. They're worth it because he's going to reveal himself to you. Okay, so there's this sense of our holding nothing back in our future. And then he makes this, this transition. And it's really strange because um, in, in the First John series, we have talked a lot about sin. And I didn't, like, when I read through it and prepared the series, I, I just wasn't aware of how many times I was going to have to be up here and talk about sin. It's not, if, it's a little uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I hope it's not uncomfortable for you. But, but it just keeps cropping up. And it shows, I think, how much John understood that sin got in the way of who we were meant to be. And so he just keeps, like, pressing the pedal. So let's read. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so he may take away our sins. In him's no sin, and no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So he starts to say some pretty intense stuff. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they've been born of God, children of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. And he's going to transition now to another example. So, again, like that's probably a whole other teaching. What I, what I think the main point is, is when you really follow Jesus, you don't continue in sin. Right? It doesn't, it's not that you don't sin. Because he, he says in chapter 1, if you say that you do not sin, you're a liar, which is a sin, right? So you, you just sin. So we're, we're sinners. He's not, saying, he's not saying if you're a Christian, and this was hard for me when I was younger, like if you're a Christian, you're perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're a bad Christian or not a Christian or a son of the devil, right? Like this is intense language here. Well, I think he's talking about real life change. 
He's talking about real character change. And so here's what I hear in the context, okay? Behold, this amazing love has been poured out on you. You've been called a child of God. You don't know who you're going to be, but you're on your way there. And the more God reveals himself to you, the more you're going to see who you are. Don't let sin get in the way. I really think that's what it is. Don't let sin get in the way. So in, other, in another way, hold nothing back from his refiner's fire. I love the thought of, of refiner's fire that takes precious metal and you put it into the fire and it, the impurities are taken out by the heat. Impurities are taken out by struggle. Impurities are not taken out by everything being easy all the time. And so there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to be saying, I don't know what you're doing right now, God. But he's working out impurities in our character because remember, what he really wants is for us to become like him. It's so much more about who we're becoming than what we do along the way. I really think he's in love with us. And all, like, all the stuff that gets done, it's like a byproduct of us becoming like him. Like, do you, so those of you who have kids, like, you know this. You want your kids to become all that they're meant to be. And it's not so much, man, I really need them to do this profession when they grow up, right? It's like, you just want them to become who they're meant to be. And then you start to see things crop up in their life. You start to see sin, and you start to see weakness, and you start to see your own sin and weakness cropping up in your kids. And it, and it breaks your heart. Because you know it's holding them back. And if only they would say to Jesus, let your refiner's fire come. But you know that your story is it took you 10 years to refine that. I was having a conversation with Elliot yesterday. I asked his permission to share this. And yesterday he was, he was invited to a party with some friends. And he was also invited to go um, watch uh, the, the game with me <laughs> and a couple of my friends. And um, Villanova game. And he and I have been watching the tournament, you know, a whole lot together. And he's really into sports. And it's one of our connection points. And we love it together. And he is just wrestling all day. He was like, oh, I don't know. you know, go to the party. If I don't go to the party, like, I think people won't be upset with me. I'm going to let people down. And, you know, but, but I really want to. And so, okay, he, he wasn't expressing all that at first. He was just like, I don't know what to do. 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 And I was like, Elliot, you are me. It's like, listen, I am learning just now, learning to, to like dial down through indecision to what it is that's causing me to have indecision. And often it's the fear of man. Often it's the desire to please other people. And I can't even figure out what it is that I want because I'm so obsessed with what other people want from me. And I said, let's just be honest. Like what is real? Let's what are you feeling? And he said, I really want to watch the game with you. I was like, that's what you want. He's like, but dad, but dad, like if I don't go, like I just know, like, and, and he explained some of the middle school dynamics that would happen. And, and they're real. Like those are real things. I, I, I know what it feels like to feel like if I go this way, I'm going to let this person down. And if I go this way, I'm going to let this person down. And so, you know, what I do sometimes, I like go to this one for an hour and this one to an hour. And like I let them both down a little bit, you know. That's like my world. And I was watching my world, this, this major struggle of my life. And it's in my son. And I've tried so hard to like, you know, 
teach him that he doesn't have to please people. And here it is. It's like shining, horrible. It's like, oh, Elliot, if you could learn this now. But I know he won't. I know it's not going to be like we learned it in the car. No, he's not. It's not. It, that car ride, it's not like, oh, I'll never struggle with that again. He's going to wrestle with this. You know, I told him, I said, you know, I love you. And either way you go is fine with me. Just so you know that. And I tried to give him that secure base, that, that place of love and identity and acceptance. And it freed him up to choose what he really wanted. You know, and sometimes when you do that, then you see that it didn't blow the world up. Like, and no one was mad at him and he was okay. And so he learned a valuable lesson. But I saw, I saw that generational sin. I was like, oh, we got to rip that out of our line. Do you struggle with that? Yeah, see? I blame you. All right. Passing the buck is another one of my sins. <laughs> Sometimes you have to let God just refine you. You have to say, come into my life. So he goes into this long passage about Cain and Abel. And it's a really weird transition. Because he's like, God loves you. You're going to become awesome. Don't let sin get in the way. Like that guy who killed his brother. You know? It's like, gets real intense. Real fast. It's like, what is the, what is, what are you talking about, John? Couldn't you think of like a more like generalized example that we've all experienced? But no, he goes right for like this guy who killed his brother out of cold blood. So I went back and read Genesis 4. Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. And God looked on favor on Abel, but on Cain he did not look, like, look on favor. And Cain was angry. And he killed his brother. I mean, that's the Cliff Notes version right there. But, and what happened was that Cain... Yes, Cain held back from God. He wasn't all in. Something in his relationship with God, his his ability to trust God had been broken. That secure attachment that Rob was talking about, that place of knowing who he was had been broken. And he was afraid, he was hindered to bring all the good of his offering to God. He was afraid. He was like, but what if I run out? It's like, it's like, you know, tithing. But what if we need more money at the end of the month? Right? It's, it's, that's where his heart was. And Abel was like, I'll just give it everything. The best. Who cares? God lavished his love on me. I'm going to lavish it on him. You see that, that reciprocity there? And so because Cain was living a fearful and hindered life, he couldn't become all that he was meant to be. God had plans for him. And then we, start, we hold back a little and it becomes more and more and more and more. And we cave in on ourselves. Sin is always like a snowball. It's always getting bigger and bigger if you let it. And so these little areas of your life where we're compromising, where we're holding back from God, where we've shut the door a little bit on God, said, I don't want you to talk to me about this or see this. Those will just get bigger until you bring them into the refiner's fire. Right at this moment, if Cain would have fallen on the ground and said, forgive me, if he would have gone through the beauty of confession and repentance and said, God, forgive me. God, break my heart for the things that break, you, break your heart, God. Rend my heart, God. 
I repent of this that drives me from you. He wouldn't have murdered his brother. And he wouldn't have walked around as a, as a kind of a marked man the rest of his life. I had a similar deal with baloney in my life. <laughs> when I was growing up, I ate baloney like nobody's business. I don't know. That was like one thing that my parents overlooked in my life. That my dad pushed like other kinds of baloney on me. To, this is a true story. He wasn't ever like, hey, this might be unhealthy. He was like, hey, let me teach you all the ways of baloney. He, he showed me olive loaf baloney. Have you, it's delicious. And we used to get the Oscar Mayer extra thick though. I mean, it wasn't good enough just to get the normal baloney. You get the extra thick baloney, all right? And I would eat it on my sandwiches every day. And I would come home from soccer practice. I would just open it and eat it. Unhindered. Holding nothing back. I would just eat that bologna. Sometimes I'd wrap it in cheese. Sometimes I'd eat a pickle with cheese and bologna. I mean, just whatever, you know, bologna. I love bologna. I love the smell when you open the package. I can still think of it. It's the yellow top. You know, it's like, it's, it's like this. You flip it over and you peel the yellow top. It's like heaven is opening. You know, you grab it and you eat it. And it's so sad when there's only one left and you want to eat two because I never ate just one, you know? And then I'd go eat some Oreos and go to bed. I was healthy. And so there's a time I didn't ask your permission if I could share this, Jonathan, but you're not paying attention now anyway, so <laughs> just kidding. Um, he, Jonathan, like, I think he was trying to be nice. He, he basically confronted me on how much weight I had gained at a certain time in my life. Do you remember this? Okay, that was really nice of him. He was like, boy, you look huge. That's what he said. It was gentle. And so I was like, you know, I was kind of feeling not great about myself as well. And so I went... I, I, and so I, I was like, okay, I don't know why, but do you remember this? I came to you, Nick. I have no idea why. It's so funny that you're here tonight. Is this the first Sunday night you've come to? And then you're here for this story. So I went to Nick and I was like, Nick, I need to lose some weight. He was like, and our resident, back in then we were traveling together. I guess he was our resident healthy guy. So I was like, you know, what can I do? And so we, we talked about like my diet and exercise and he was like, you know what? If you cut out if you cut out baloney from your diet, you probably lose ten pounds right there, right? So, word from God. So, guys, for real, except for like one time in my mid thirties where I bought some just for fun to taste it, I have not eaten baloney since that day. For real, I cut it out cold turkey. I told that story just for that joke right there. I cut it out completely. My whole life, I ate it until that day when Nick confronted me. And I let the refiner's fire purify my life. All right? Now, I want to tell that because it's way easier than telling an actual story about a real sin in my life. But this is how, this is how we need to treat sin. I, um, we, need to, we need to... It's a great, a great teaching I heard by, this, by Mark Tyndall. And he would talk about sin. He'd say, you've got to paint it orange and kill it. And it's always stuck with me. And there's a story behind it that I don't have time to tell. But you have to paint it orange. You have, to, you have to mark it. You have to say, this is the sin in my life. You have to tell people about it. You have to get it out of the dark and into the light. And then you need to kill it. You need to like, treat it like the disease that it is that's trying to infest your calling in God and take you off path. And, and you know how much time we spend praying about that sin area and thinking about it and working through guilt and shame if we would just paint it orange and kill it. 
we would just cut it off cold turkey, cold bologna. It would free us. I don't remember if I really lost any weight, but it really did change my life, Nick. That, that is the greatest word you've ever spoken into my life. <laughs> All right, so we got to, but I really think as adults, like this gets preached hard to teenagers, right? Don't sin, don't sin. We're so scared they're going to just go crazy and, you know, get drunk and high and have sex every day, you know? And so we're like, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And then when people become adults, we're like, hey, you know, like we assume we got it all together. Like, let's back off the whole sin thing. But I think we have just as much tendency to sin. And it's got just as much power over us, okay? So then he does another transition, right? So he's like, God loves us. He's called us his, his children, sons and daughters. Who you are meant to be. Could you live your life unhindered for God? Just hold nothing back for Jesus. Let your calling, just step wholeheartedly into your calling. But don't let sin hold you back. Wholeheartedly, holding nothing back, let me refine you. Let me change your character. And then I think because he knows how much we need each other, he says, and let's hold nothing back in how we love one another. So he shifts gears one more time. Because this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's us. So he's talking here about the church. He's not talking about loving the world. And he says that in other places. But right now he's saying, as Jesus loved us by dying on the cross for our sins, so should we love each other. Look around the room. We should love each other. Literally no one looked around the room. Look around the room. You did? Okay, Jonathan, very obedient. It's all Gary. You're like, no, no. <laughs> we are called to love each other. It's, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, how can the, and, and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. C.S. Lewis said, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting or exasperating or depraved or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. It's good. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love people. Yeah, yeah, I love people. But you get those, those moments where you could love someone who frustrates you. You could love someone who's hurt your feelings. You could love someone who rubs you the wrong way. You know? And those are the moments when we step into holding nothing back, loving recklessly. God, so let's go back to the verse one. Behold what great love the Father has lavished, you know, abundantly, sloppily. So love each other just like that. Recklessly, can we recklessly love each other? You know, this kind of love is a, is a generous love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love, right? It's an action-filled love. It goes beyond words. It goes beyond good intentions, And the world will be attracted to that. If we love each other like this, the world will be attracted to that love. 
because it'll overflow to loving the world the same way. It's risky to love people like that, if you think about it. It's risky to put your heart out. You know, it won't always get returned, even within the body of Christ. There's risk when you become vulnerable. There's risk when you give your heart. You know, you will be hurt when you love recklessly. Do you think Jesus dying on the cross was like, I know that all people will respond to this just the way that I want them to? (laughs) No, he gave himself recklessly. He gave himself for people who were cursing him. He gave himself for people who would never follow him, who would choose eternal damnation over following him. You are called to give yourself to each other. We are called to give ourselves to each other, regardless of what comes back. I just recklessly love you out of action, with my deeds, with my stuff. Right? Doesn't he get to the heart of it? He's like, love each other. Give your stuff to each other. (laughs) Because our stuff is hard to let go sometimes. But when we're attached to the love of God, when we, when we act from the launch pad of God loves us and defines our identity as sons and daughters of God, think about that. What that means in that context is God is my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. So if I'm totally convinced of that, I can just recklessly give, right? If I'm totally convinced that he will take care of us, that I can recklessly give to you. But if I'm insecure in whether he will, if I'm afraid then I'm going to, maybe I'll just give you a little, or maybe I won't give you any. We need that. Sorry. It's it's the being convinced of who he is. If you're not convinced that he's good, then you won't recklessly give him um, access to your sin, right? If you're not convinced he's good, if you're not convinced he's gentle, if you're not convinced that he really has the best in store for you, that's why that home base is such an important starting point. Behold, what great love has been lavished on us that we were called the children of God. Okay. So let's end. That's 1 John 3, my take on it, at least, and how it's speaking to me. So I want to give you an action step. Can we have music of some kind? Either Janine or, yeah, I don't see Nathan anymore. So go ahead, you put some music on. I want to to give you an action step, and I also want to pray for people. So action step is this. I want you to love someone recklessly this week. All right? I want you to love, oh, hey, yeah. Sorry. I want you to love someone recklessly this week. So think about that. Pray about that. Like, what would that look like? It doesn't have to be with your stuff. It could be with stuff. It could be with money. It could be an action. Someone in the body of Christ. How could you love someone recklessly this week? All right. So I don't know if anybody's going to want prayer. If you do, we want to pray for you. First off, if you've never said yes to Jesus. If you've never said, like, here's my heart, and I want to um, follow you. Like, I, I've heard about you, and I've seen other people who follow you, but you know in your heart you've never done, like, the holding nothing back. You've never just said, okay, I'm all in, Jesus. If you've never done that, like, during this next part, people will get up and start milling around, but you can come up front, and I'd like to pray with you to just say yes to Jesus. For the rest of us, if you feel that you need to renew that single-hearted passion for Jesus, you know, if you, David says, give me an undivided heart. If you've been divided and you need to renew that single-hearted passion for Jesus, come up for prayer. 
If you need freedom, if you know that refiner's fire is, is needed in your life and you want freedom from something in your life, come up for prayer, okay? Or anything else that God's speaking to you. We'd love to pray for you. Jesus, let's stand together. Jesus, we, we thank you for your word, that your words are spirit and that that spirit gives us life. Your word gives life. It encourages us. It challenges us. It stretches us. And we receive the word of God into us tonight. God, I pray that we could approach you holding nothing back, God. I pray that we could run into our callings holding nothing back. That we could allow you to trim and prune and work in our character holding nothing back and that we could love each other holding nothing back. God, make us, that's authentic, that's just authentic faith right there. So we just described. Just being wholehearted and not half-hearted. Let us be wholehearted. Let us be all in, God. And where we struggle to do that, Father, give us grace. Give us grace, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Worship your name, God. Amen. Amen. So please come up if you would.